Hi, my name is Chris, and the Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Nicole Jolin. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 21. So then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards even though we used to know Christ by human standards. That isn't how we know him now. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of a new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not by counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with his message of reconciliation. So, we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled with God. God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake, so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Randy Lynn. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have shown them to babies. Indeed, Father, this brings you happiness. My Father has handed all things over to me. No one knows the Son except the Father. And nobody knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for these readings from your word and that throughout your story you invite us into rest. Lord, we thank you that you care about the rhythms of our lives, that we live well. We confess that we often get busier than you. We get driven by external and internal things. We pray, Lord God, that you would teach us to walk in step with your spirit. Amen. So nice to be back with you all. Hello. <laughs> you, you have a very happy Englishman uh, sitting in front of you today because uh, already this morning I have had a full worship experience watching England beat Panama 6-1 in the World Cup. Uh, thank you. The biggest hallelujah. It, it was a I am here to worship moment. And, and it's the biggest margin that we've ever um, won a game in a World Cup by before our captain scores a hat-trick. It was kind of a, a dream uh, scenario. So um, I know that the World Cup is a sore point for, for Americans. We miss you. And uh, do feel free to support England because 
we need it. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful morning. But also, more importantly, it's wonderful because uh, really coming to be with you at this time of year is always a highlight for me. I think it's about five years I've been cycling through uh, new life uh, in June. And it's because just after this, we've got a retreat for some of our 24-7 leaders from all around the world, up in the Rockies, just near Fraser, uh, beyond Winter Village there. And so it just works really well. And it's reflective of a, a, just a deep friendship uh, between um, you know, many of your pastors and uh, this church and ours. And um, it is absolutely amazing that... Um, your pastor uh, and I are doing a 4,720-mile pulpit swap today, uh, which is a 50th of the way to the moon, I found out. Um, do with that what you will. So um, uh, Glenn, Glenn apparently spoke brilliantly this morning, obviously England seven hours ahead at, at our church, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to have to try. But... Um, it, it's, it's just a joy to be, to be with you. And you have no idea, as someone coming in from outside, you have no idea how many people, as I travel around the world, as I travel in America, want to be part of a church like this. I, I really mean that. People are looking for churches that are both small and have real community, but are part of something bigger. And you've got that in your life. People are looking for churches that are charismatic, that are uh, moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but are also traditional in a healthy way and rooted in the good side of liturgy. By the way, just because something's in Latin and you say liturgy doesn't make it true, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot to learn from the past. They're looking for uh, churches that are growing and alive and are socially engaged, which you certainly are. And you get to do that in one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's just not fair. Uh, stunning, stunning, obviously, countryside. But also, you do the weather well here. Well done for doing the weather so well. Uh, you've got four proper seasons. In England, we just kind of mix them all up, and it's kind of a sludge. But um, well done on your weather. Uh, so so, so there's, there's a lot of reasons that I'm stirred to holy envy today. And this is, as you heard, the fourth in this uh, series going through the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, of course, are really the building blocks of the modern world. They provide the social and ethical frameworks for uh, many of the greatest societies on earth and have done for thousands of years. Speaking not just into how we worship, but how we do marriage and family how we handle commodity and possession, uh, how we get our rhythms of life right, and all kinds of other things. And as has probably already been pointed out in this series, because some people say, all that stuff, it's just rules, that's old school, that's the old covenant. But someone's probably already pointed out that the Jews used to celebrate the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, on a particular day of the year, and they called it, listen, the Feast of Pentecost. So when we hear that, we kind of go, ah, 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 birthday of the church, you know, Holy Spirit poured out, tongues of fire, blah, blah, all that stuff. But, 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 but the Jews, before all of that, Pentecost was the giving of the Ten Commandments. And what that tells us, the great screaming hallelujah over uh, the Ten Commandments is this, that this stuff isn't just outdated, but that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
and through the baptism of the Spirit, we can now live the Ten Commandments, not as rules chipped into, into stone, but as something written on our own hearts. And so in grace, in, in new covenant, we get to actually live this way. So it's great that we're, we're studying the Ten Commandments together. And um, today is, is number four, which, as you've just heard so beautifully read, is the commandment to keep the Sabbath, the commandment to rest. I love that um, line in, in the old hymn that says this, and I often pray it, drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Isn't that great? You're a little strained and stressed here today. If, like me, sometimes you live your life like a pinball machine, just pinging from one thing to the next, climbing into bed at the end of the day thinking, I didn't clear my action list, driven by all sorts of things, God steps into it and says, you are to rest. So we're going to think a bit about that together. And I, I just want to say right at the start, I do feel like a bit of a hypocrite when I speak about Sabbath because I get pretty busy. I, um, I do at least three jobs. Um, I, 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 as you heard, I'm the pastor of a, a church that's, that's growing really fast. And so we have all the pastoral challenges and the growth challenges and financial challenges of growth. And, and, and I'm one of the leaders, accidentally, of an international prayer movement working all over the world. And that's exciting and busy. And, you know, we just helped the Archbishop of Canterbury to do this prayer initiative. We had over a million people praying on Pentecost Sunday. And, and, and uh, you know, I, we just launched a festival. There's a whole bunch of things. And, um, and one of the things I love to do, I feel called to do, is to write. I write books. And, and um, uh, it's not easy always to find the time. And uh, recently, I'd carved out a week to just go away and write. And I was really aware that it's costly. When I take a week to do that, you know, my wife's got to look after the home and the kids, and we have two dogs. And, uh, you know, Bill and Josh and one or two others have to uh, run the church. And, and you know, everyone is kind of like, you know, holding the fort so I can go and have the luxury of a week writing. And so I turned up, and my, my, one of my sons has said, cool, Dad, like, how many chapters are you going to get written? And I was like, you know, I'd had an espresso. I'm like, three chapters. This is going to be a three-chapter week, you know. And I stepped into this beautiful, quiet little house where I was going to go and write in complete solitary for a week. And I'm like kind of doing my spiritual push-ups. And I get my laptop out, and I begin to start writing. And God speaks as clear as anything. He says this lie down, lie down. And it wasn't polite. It wasn't like Jesus is supposed to be in Christian posters and Instagram filters. It wasn't, would you like to lie down? You're so sweet. It was the way I talked to my dog. It was, lie down. <laughs> well, have you ever noticed Psalm 23? He makes me lie down. We filter that bit out. He doesn't invite you. He makes me. We're dealing with a commandment, a commandment today to keep Sabbath, not just a suggestion. And he said to me, lie down. I'm like, whoa, 
chill out, you know. Got a book to write here. It's quite important. <laughs> God's like, I'm so impressed. You know. <laughs> what did I ever do without you? You know. So I go and lie on the couch. And I fall asleep. And I wake up. And I feel like God's still saying, just rest. So I go for a run and I take a shower and I say, can I start work yet? He's like, no. I spent a week lying on the couch, feeling increasingly rested and increasingly guilty. And all the time I'm living with this just dread of I'm going to get home and I'm going to have to look my son in the eyes and he's going to say, three chapters, dad. I'm like, not even a paragraph, son. You know, my wife, oh, great. Oh, great. So I have looked after the home for a week so you can lie on the couch. Glory, you know. <laughs> you know, the other pastors in the church are going to be like, we've dealt with divorce. We've dealt with marriages and births. And you lay on a couch and I'm like, oh, no. It's easy, isn't it, to build your identity around what you do. Who are you then? And you tell them your job. <laughs> Since when was that who you are? And then God is so kind, actually, isn't he? He's so kind. He commands us because he knows how disobedient we can be. On the last day of my writing week, and, and I have to say God did speak to me incredibly clearly, not just about the book, but actually for the next 10 years of my life during that week as I rested. It's amazing how as we are still, the light can suddenly reflect on the water. And um, a friend of mine from, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Chris Westoff, who's an amazing prophetess, hears the Lord incredibly. She got in touch with me on my last day on this retreat. She didn't know what I was doing. She said, God just spoke to me for you. Do you want it? I said, yeah, of course. And these days, prophets, they record it and they text it to you. And so I pressed play. And I, she's like driving around Tulsa, like prophesying. And she said, I saw you. And there were swarms of locusts around your head. And you were pressed to the ground. And I, this, these are her words. I couldn't tell whether you were resting or praying. That's interesting, isn't it? And she said, as you maintained that posture of rest and prayer, the locusts cleared away. Does that mean anything to you? I'm like, not only does that mean a lot to me, but I'm off the hook with my wife and my pastors and my son. This is great. I was so obedient to God. Let me tell you about Sabbath. I'm brilliant at Sabbath, you know. It's not easy, is it, this thing of learning to rest, learning to be still, learning to take time out. But God does command us to take a day out a week. Ideally, it doesn't have to be Sunday, but traditionally it has been. You know, it's funny because all the Abrahamic faiths practice Sabbath, but they can't agree which day it is. If you ever go to Israel, almost nothing happens in Israel uh, because the Muslims have Friday as their Sabbath, the Jews have Saturday, and the Christians have Sunday because we swapped it. You know, when Jesus rode from, rose from the dead, we're like, this is too good. We're going to have a new Sabbath. Uh, that's the beginning of new life and resurrection. And so three days out of seven, basically nothing happens. Trying to get a bus in, in Jerusalem is a nightmare. Sabbath is at the heart of all these great faiths. 
rooted in Abraham. And it is because it comes from two great stories, founding stories, two once upon a time stories. The first, of course, is, as we just heard in our readings, the story of the creation. We, 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 we practice Sabbath because on the seventh day, God rested, we are told. God is not a workaholic. God is relaxed. Isn't that incredible? At the center of the universe is a God who's not kind of ADHD. He's not stressed and worried. He's secure. He's comfortable. He's relaxed. He takes a day uh, to rest. And the second story which Sabbath is rooted in is that of the Exodus. Because remember, that the commandments have been given to a people who are wandering around in the wilderness because they have escaped from hundreds of years of slavery. Now, when you're a slave, it's not just that you don't get paid. You don't get a day off. They have had multiple generations of working seven days a week. And, and here they are in the wilderness trying to work out who are we as we become a nation. And God says, you are not driven by Pharaoh. You are made in my image. I rest a day a week, so you need to rest a day a week. It's so easy, even as Christians, to be driven by Pharaoh, to be driven by you know, money. Uh, we never have enough. To be driven by uh, ambition. You know, I, I, I've just got to get on in life. I've just got to get the next promotion. To be driven by fears of missing out. And God says, I rest, you rest. You are not a slave. You are free. You're a son and a daughter. Probably or a daughter, but you know. Walter Brueggemann, who's one of the great um, Old Testament theologians, says this. Restfulness and not restlessness is at the center of life. You are not little replicas of anxiety-driven Pharaoh. You are in the image of the creator God. The faithful practice of Sabbath, he says, is an act of resistance. Have you ever noticed that our culture is just on and wired all the time? There's something so revolutionary about stopping and resting and refusing to buy into that system of acquisition seven days a week. So he says it's an act of resistance. He continues, it declares in bodily ways that we will not be defined by busyness and by acquisitiveness and by pursuit of more in either economics or our personal relations or anywhere else in our lives because our life does not consist in commodity. I think there are three great purposes of Sabbath. The first one is simply rest. The word Shabbat means to rest. The second uh, call of Sabbath is to worship because it is unto the Lord, uh, we're told. It it is a day that isn't just about self-care. It is a day about recentering on the reality of God. That's why it's good to do stuff like this. And then thirdly, I think Sabbath is a day of celebration. Remember, it's the day on which God, after creating and saying it's good, it's good, it's good, and then he he makes humanity and he says it's very good. It's the day he steps back and enjoys the work of his hands. And so there's something deeply celebratory about the Sabbath principle. And I just want to tell you three quick stories, three parables to illustrate 
each of these three elements of Sabbath, and then we're going to just pray for one or two people and come to the table. The first story relates to this call to rest. And, um, you know, it was, uh, I I live in a beautiful city in in England called Guildford, and we have a a cobbled high street that swoops down to this beautiful river, and it is really pretty. And the the people, you know, we don't have shopping malls in England. We have have kind of shops down the center of town. It's just old, you know. And and so you have these shoppers who are sort of wandering around like it's this serene shopping experience, right? And then in, in the middle of this serenity, Suddenly, one day, uh, there was this scream and this yelping of a dog and this terrible noise. And uh, around the corner, there came a greyhound. Like You know, they're quite highly strung. This greyhound, like, yelping. And attached to the greyhound's lead was one of those metal bistro chairs. Okay? And so, the faster the greyhound ran, the more the bistro chair would, like, spring in the air and then pounce and nip at the greyhound's heels. And that made people shout and scream. And you can imagine this scenario. Someone's, you know, gone to a local cafe. They've tied their greyhound to a chair. They've gone in. They're ordering the coffee. The greyhound has moved. The chair has moved. The greyhound's gone, what's that? And jumped. The chair has jumped. The greyhound started running. The, the, the bistro chair has started chasing. The greyhound's going, I'm being chased by a chair. The, 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 it goes around the corner of the chair, pounces and bites its butt. Someone starts screaming, get that dog. The greyhound's now being chased by shoppers. And for all I know, that greyhound is running still. (laughs) Chased by a bistro chair. (laughs) What did it need to do? What, 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 What did the dog need to do? Stop. Sit. Lie down. Be still. And you're going to find out that those things that are driving you those things that are biting at your heels, those fears that wake you in the middle of the night are just bistro chairs. Be still and know that I am God, says God. Be still and know things will come back into perspective. Don't be so driven. Don't be so scared. And as we practice Sabbath, we regain our peace. We learn to rest from the things that uh, frighten us uh, in life. You know, some people don't take days off at all, but other people do, but their days off are manic. Have Have you ever noticed that? You know, the kind of people, it's like on their day off, they do 300 exciting things, and they're just exhausted by it. There's something about resting that is actually about going slow. I think a good Sabbath is probably slow. You know, Sabbath is something that our kids need and not just for adults too. I don't know what it's like in America, but in England, especially teenagers, they are under such pressure at at school and they do homework and exams. And uh, we've been challenged recently about, you know, our own kids just unplugging from screens because that's one of the ways that our, our rest can get robbed from us, because we're just like buzzing on dopamine hits and jealousy <laughs> all day. And to just come off the screens, to, to have a day we say to our kids, you know what? Don't work today. Don't revise today. 
if it means you don't get quite such good grades, but you're a better human, <laughs> we choose human. Sabbath, the call to rest, to let the peace of God reinvade our lives, to allow the bistro chairs to settle down around us. Jesus says, and it's amazing the context for this, Jesus was in this moment where he was grieving because his cousin had just been killed. And he was also buzzing because his disciples had just come back from their first great mission full of great stories. So he's got the highs and the lows at the same time. We read in Mark 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. Pause. Isn't it reassuring that Jesus sometimes got his work-life ratios wrong? Okay. They weren't eating properly. Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And I just wonder if that is a word for some of us here today. Get some rest. Second story, second parable. And uh, the first one was, was about, uh, you know, this crazed greyhound. The second one is about a playground. Just after I finished writing one of the books, I was absolutely exhausted I'd been working crazy hours, staring at a screen. Sammy and our two sons had hardly seen me. I never learned to type properly. Um, I'm of an age where I didn't understand that typing was going to become essential for everybody. I thought it was just for you know, people who were called to be secretaries. And stupidly, I never... So I've, I've typed five books with these two puppies here, just these two fingers. And honestly, that one just does caps locked. That one is a serious typing finger. And I'm, I am fast. When, 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 the, when my fingers go, uh, like, it's like a, it's like a woodpecker uh, on cocaine. It's like, <laughs> you know. And I, like, so I've been typing these books, working crazy hours, and then, and then the moment came, and, um, and, and I, I was ready to send it off to the publisher. And I called Sammy and the kids in, and the boys were small then, so one sat on each knee, and we said a prayer, and we put our hands on the mouse, and we pressed send, and off went the manuscript. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do at this point. I'd been dreaming about it for ages. There was a, um, a, 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 an English pub near our house, which had a big leather couch and a playground for the kids. You see where we're going here. And uh, that's all I wanted to, where I wanted to be. So we went, and I collapsed into the embrace of this leather couch. And I said to the, the, the two boys, Behold, the Lord hath provided the swings, and indeed the slides of his glory. Go forth, enjoy, take as long as you want. And I, I'm there like crashed out and on the couch, and I can see the swings and slides through the, 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 the window. And the boys go running to the door, and one of them goes running straight out, and I can see him running off to the swings and slides. But the other one gets to the door, and he pauses. He looks back at me. He looks at his brother on the swings and slides. He looks at me, and he walks back towards me really slowly. I think, oh no, he needs the restroom or something, you know. And he comes up to me, and he looks up to me, and he says some words that just sucked the air out of the room. He said this, Daddy, I've missed you. <laughs> and then he climbed into my arms, and he put his podgy little arms around my neck, and he sat there, and we just kind of breathed in time with each other. And he never did go and use the swings and the slides. 
And all the while, I'm seeing his brother out the window having a great old time. And in that moment, the one in my lap did not become more my son than the one on the playground. I didn't start to love him more than the other one. But you have no idea how much his act of unnecessary devotion ministered to my tired father's heart. The invitation of Sabbath is not just self-care. It is worship. It is to climb into the arms of the Father who rests and to rest with Him, to breathe in time with Him, to refocus our attention on Him. That's why it's important to gather in fellowship with other Christians and worship and break bread. It's why it's good to make space in our homes for spiritual conversation on Sundays. It's why it's, it's, it's good to create some space for yourself. Maybe go for a little walk, or if your household is really busy, just have a really unusually extended time in the bathroom, you know, or take, take a bath instead of a shower or whatever, but just find space to recenter and focus. Rabbi Heschel says this, six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth, but on the Sabbath we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day, we try to dominate ourselves. Final story. I've said that Sabbath is about rest. and I told you the story about the demented greyhound. I've said that Sabbath is about worship. And I told you the story about my son in my arms. The third story, and I had to check this past Pastor Jason, Pastor Glenn, Pastor Daniel, and I almost checked it past Pastor Brady, but I just thought it was probably, you know, troubling him. Because this is a parable about a bottle of beer. And I didn't know if it would be okay to... I, I don't want to cause anyone to stumble. And, and do, you know, do you know what... Daniel Grothy said to me, he said, Pete, you're European, they'll forgive anything. <laughs> you know, you're just a bunch of kind of communists over there, like doing history, like who knows, you know. So just, if you're offended, just like put it down to the fact I'm a foreigner, I just don't understand. Okay, so the greatest beer in the world, voted in many online surveys, is called the West Vlateran 12. So I'm told. It is made by uh, Belgian Trappist monks. It is an extraordinary beer. And um, when it was first voted the best beer in the world, um, suddenly everyone went to the abbot of this monastery and said, you, dude, have got to scale up production. Everyone in the world now wants your beer. And the abbot said this, but we're not called to make beer. We're called to pray. Some of you right now, you can relax. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> he said, if we scale up production, we'll pray less, and our priority is to pray. So he refused to scale up production when they had just become the world leader. And in that moment, in that decision of prioritizing God in that way, he broke capitalism. Because what happened suddenly was demand for this product went through the roof, prices went way up, and they didn't have to work any harder. 
Give me a wave if you think that sounds like a good business model right there. You know, sometimes to get the best in life, you have to do less, not more. That's one of the keys in the Sabbath principle. So what happened to me is I lay on the couch and God gave me revelation for the next 10 years of my life. Sometimes it is by doing less that we step into our best, not by doing more. And so to this day, if you want West Lateran 12, you have to phone the, uh, the monastery at a particular time because they can't be bothered to answer the phones all the time because they're too busy praying. You speak to one of the monks. The monk says, turn up at the gates of the monastery at this particular time, and we will need your registration number of your car and your cell phone number, because we will not allow you to come back and have any more for quite a while. And you turn up, and you, can, you, you, you get your allocation of West Vatican 12, and they take your details so that you can't repeat order for a long time. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a different way of being? And we had a guy from Belgium lived with us, and at the meal table, on the first day, he pulled out a little gift from Belgium, and he presented me with a bottle of West Vlateran 12. I couldn't believe it. And I think he thought I didn't understand its value, but I really did understand its value. Sometimes when you're in a Sabbath season, you can be a little hidden, but actually God sees your value. And so there is something in Sabbath that is not just about resting and not just about worshipping, but it is about truly living life well, like those monks, refusing to become stressed and over-busy in response to demand, keeping the first things first, prioritizing well, living a celebratory uh, existence. Sometimes we can be so crazy busy in life, and I think Christians can be worse, because just to be a normal human in Colorado Springs is probably like, you know, you, you know you've got to hold down your job, you've got to pay the bills, you, you know, you've got to get to the store, you, you, you've got to raise your kids, you've got to, there's all this stuff to do, and then as Christians, it's like, and you've got to go to church, and you, you know, you've got to save the world, and you've got to be like an incredible parent at all times, and an amazing lover to your husband or wife, and, 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 and you've got to read all these books and it's like it's so busy and, and and sometimes I think you know if 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 this call of being a Christian is somehow you're going to burn out telling people about the kingdom of heaven so that they can get saved and burn out telling someone else about the kingdom of heaven so that they can get saved woo, and then burn out telling someone else about the kingdom of heaven at what point does the kingdom of heaven start at what point do we start to celebrate the inbreaking of God's goodness and God's rest and God's blessing? I know there's trouble. I know there's stress. I know there's problems. I know there's disappointments in life. I know not one of us in this auditorium has it easy, but I do know this. There is a God in heaven who is good. And right at the beginning, he made it all good, and then he rested. And one day he will return, and all things will work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. One day we will stand there and sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so amidst all the struggles and the stress, let us receive the kingdom of heaven into the Sabbath of our lives. Amen? Celebration, rest, and worship. Sounds good, doesn't it? Isn't it great when God commands us to do things we want to do anyway? <laughs> Faith moves at the pace of grace. It is not driven by vision. It sabbaths its way steadily through life's relentless drama as if it had all the time in the world, which of course is precisely its secret.
So I'd love just to pray for some people, and then we're going to hand back, and uh, Pastor Jason is going to take us to the Lord's table. But I wonder which of those silly little stories is for you today. Perhaps God's speaking to you about the demented greyhound, and he's just saying, stop, be still, sit, be at peace, allow the bistro chairs to come back into perspective. Or maybe it's the story of my son climbing into my arms and resting with his father. Maybe the Lord is calling you to reprioritize his presence, to make sure that the time you take out is not just for yourself, but it is for God. Maybe creating a little more focus on the Lord in our homes on our Sabbath day rests. Maybe some of us, if we're honest, we spend most of our Sabbaths on the swings and slides. That's okay. But you have the invitation to climb into the arms of your father. Or maybe for you, it's that third story about the West Blatteran 12. If you're honest, you know that you are just responding to demands in such a way that you're not living a celebratory life. And God is saying, do less to be blessed. Do less to be your best. Celebrate the inbreaking Sabbath. And so we're going to do that now with the Sabbath meal, with communion. Someone once said that on the Sabbath, we are not just restored, that's rest, but restoried, that's worship. We step again into the ancient story of creation. We step again into the story of the Exodus. And we anticipate the day when through the resurrection of Jesus, we will step into the Sabbath rest of the kingdom of heaven fully come. And so as we take the bread and the wine, we are restoried. We step again into the Sabbath rest of God. The death of Jesus Christ by his resurrection that makes Sunday our Sabbath. And so just before we do that, I just want to read over you one more time the beautiful scripture from the gospel that was read earlier. I'm going to read the message version because it's so cool. And I'd like to invite you just to pause for a second and just think, which is the challenge for you today? Is it the greyhound? Rest. Is it the Father's lap? Worship. Or is it the West Lateran 12? Celebrate. And you may want to just open your hands on your lap because it's between you and God. Even in doing that, you may want to be relinquishing some busyness and drivenness I felt like God spoke to me earlier about someone um, you've stopped working recently I mean professionally you've stopped working and if you're honest you've been struggling with some identity issues around that you've been feeling insecure because so much of your working life has been around what you do 
and he's drawing you into Sabbath, into celebration and deep rest. And so I want you to hear these words from Jesus echoing down 2,000 years direct to your heart and mine. He says to you, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.